And so this morning, we find ourselves in Romans 8, a very important place, Romans 8. And the first verse alone is what we would call refrigerator material. That is, you would take that verse and you'd laminate it and put it on your refrigerator. Hear now the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The Word of God. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that your unction would come upon this preacher, that you would help me to preach your word powerly, powerfully, persuasively, precisely, and Lord, that you would bless every hearer, that your word would find good ground and so reap fruit. Help us this morning. Banish all distraction, we pray. In Christ's name, and all said, Amen. This chapter has been called one of the greatest in the Bible. 
Godet points out that it begins with no condemnation and ends with no separation. Romans 8 is the place to come if you're discouraged. Good place to come. Particularly if you struggle with guilt. If you struggle with sin. Which I think we all do, don't we? If you're going through trials and tribulations, Romans 8. If you're struggling with assurance of your salvation, Romans 8. There's not a single command in what we just read. It shifts. Romans 7 says I a whole lot. Romans 8 is talking frequently about the Holy Spirit. You see, mature believers may have consistent victory over sin, but they still struggle daily against their sinful nature and sometimes lose the battle. If you're a Christian this morning, you have two things beating in your breast besides that organ that's pumping blood. One is the sinful nature. God has chosen to leave it there. You have a sinful nature. But if you're a Christian, you also have the Holy Spirit living in you. That's different. That's new. And the Holy Spirit and your sinful nature are having a war of immense proportion. And so we sin as Christians. And when we do chronically, the devil comes and says, and you call yourself a Christian. We really don't know sometimes. We're kind of surprised at our own behavior. That really came out of my mouth? I really said that? That's when the words, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, are so important. William Howard Doan was an industrialist and he started his first business at age 16 and he became rich. William Howard Doan was a Christian and his idea was to support Christian hymn making. You see, he wrote melodies. He wrote hymns, but he didn't write lyrics. And so he plowed a lot of money into hymns. But he had a problem. 
One particular day, in 1867, he had some beautiful music, but he didn't have the lyrics. So what did he do? He prayed. He prayed that those lyrics would come to him. And he prayed for a poet that would be there to help him write hymns. And after he prayed, there was a knock on the door of his hotel room. And a boy was standing there with an envelope. You Mr. Doan? Yes, sir. This is for you. The letter read as follows. Mr. Doan, I've never met you, but I feel impelled to send you this hymn. May God bless it, Fanny Crosby. Thus began a relationship in the church and some of the greatest gospel hymns written like To God Be the Glory, Near the Cross, Savior More Than Life to Me, Rescue the Perishing, and this one, the one that he was writing and didn't have the words to, More like Jesus would I be. Let my Savior dwell in me. Fill my soul with peace and love. Make me gentle as the dove. More like Jesus while I go. Pilgrim in this world below. Poor in the spirit would I be. Let my Savior dwell in me. Can somebody say amen? amen. Beloved, our task in this life is to worship God and enjoy Him. Our task in this life is to become more like Jesus. Less like Dave, more like Jesus. Amen? Now, our justification is life-changing. If you know that there is no condemnation for you, what does that do to your heart? Does it make you yawn? <sighs> Only if you didn't know that you were doomed to an eternity of hell does it make you yawn. But if you, like me, know that without Jesus Christ, you are headed to hell on a highway at a high rate of speed and you would be in misery for eternity, right, which never ends. Jesus, however, rescuing you freely by his grace, you got some hallelujahing to do because the story, the story does end happily ever after, but only for the true Christian. Amen? And so, Christ has set us free from the penalty of sin. That's justification. Now, I used to remember when I would read the King James Version, 
The King James Version had an error. I'm sorry, it did. And what happened is the person, the copyist, took the end of verse 4 and stuck it on to the end of verse 1. The verse properly says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's in the NIV 1984 version, and of course the ESV, and many other versions. But in the KJV, if you read it, it'll add, for those who walk according to the Spirit and not in the flesh. There's a condition subsequent that does not exist in the text. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. If you're in union with Christ, you're saved. You won't be condemned. You are saved now, and saved you forever will be. Amen? It's all of grace, folks. We couldn't do it ourselves. We only contribute the sin that made it necessary said Jonathan Edwards. Now, therefore, he's saying, looking at 7 and all the way back from 321, he's saying, therefore, this truth. What a truth it is. It's emphatic, meaning there is now no condemnation. Question arises. As a believer, when I do sin, which is inevitable, should I feel guilty? Answer, yes. Not because I'm going to be condemned, but because I'm sinning against someone I love. The Lord God who I am to love with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, why would I sin against him? Feelings of guilt are good when they lead to repentance and faith. Today, the worldly person doesn't like guilt. They want no guilt at all cost. But godly guilt is good because it leads to repentance. But don't let the accuser play with your mind and make you think because you've sinned, if you're a Christian, that you're on the highway to hell. That's when you go to your refrigerator and say, excuse me, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1.9. That's also on your refrigerator, dude. Your refrigerator should have a ton of Bible on it. And when you're in your bed at night and you can't sleep and the devil is accusing you, run to the refrigerator, read the verses, then have some more milk and some milk crackers with lots of butter on them. I used to eat them. Or I'd come home late at night from playing in a band and I'd get on Honey Nut Cheerios. 
Steed, so many of them, I'd go into a coma. I'd wake up, slip like a baby. Honey nut Cheerios. I don't eat them anymore. Ask Mike, he'll tell you why. Okay. We have to be in Christ Jesus. Union in Christ is important. Remember? A few weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we died with Him. We were buried with Him. We rose with Him. We're now living in Him and He in us. And guess what? We'll be with Him forevermore. We've identified with Him. Hi, my name is Dave. I'm a Christian. That's who I am. Now, I might be a husband, a father, a grandfather, all these different things. No, no, no. The first thing is, I am a Christ follower. And you are too. Amen? Talk to somebody. When you meet somebody in the street, hi, I'm Dave. I'm a Christian. Are you? When you're having dinner, maybe after you get your meal, sometimes before, that could add they could add some extra flavor into your entree. You know, I don't like Christian. You like it. It's very special. <laughs> I made it special in the back. Cook's got some new sauces he's using. Trying them out. Yeah. So, we are in Christ Jesus. We're in the ark, folks. We're in the ark of salvation, like Noah's ark, right? The animals came in by twosies, twosies. We come in. We're in the ark. We're on board with Jesus. You on board with Jesus this morning? Are you on board? Are you in the ark? Amen. Condemnation is the opposite of justification. If you've been justified, you're not condemned. Now, here's the thing. We haven't been freed from every sin because why? The sinful nature is still in here. And even though we are living the new life, the old life is over, right? Hello? But the sinful nature is still there. And the sinful nature says, oh, that whole life was so good. Love that old life. Eat the whole package of Oreos. Doesn't matter if your heart's going to explode. Just do it. I love Oreos. Right? When we were under the tyranny of sin, we would sin reflexively. You didn't have to tell us twice. But now we have power. We have power and we have been rescued from the tyranny of sin. Sin does not have to tyrannize you. You don't have to do what it wants you to do. You can resist. You can overcome. And that's what we need to consistently do in our lives. Amen? We have a new life. We have been regenerated. Religion won't help us, will it? Because it's just do's and don'ts. 
And those do's and don'ts don't help. In fact, when you give me do's and don'ts, I want to do the don'ts. And I don't want to do the do's. That's what happens, man. Because I'm sinful. It's not that the do's and don'ts are necessarily bad. But the fact is, when you tell me I can't do it, I want to do it. Johnny, don't touch that. No. Right? Give me the prohibition. God did what we couldn't do. He paid the penalty. He is our substitute. And he paid the penalty the law demanded. Your account is paid up. Amen? When you stand before him, you'll look at me and I'll say, don't forget to say what I told you. And you'll say, not reason, not guilty by reason of Jesus. Yes, very good, Johnny. We're not guilty by reason of Jesus. We're not guilty because of how good we are or that we didn't kill anybody or that we belong to the United Way or we do good deeds, we look nice, we try to be nice to everyone, we try to be kind and good. No, we're not guilty because Jesus took all his sin on himself, our sin, and he gave us his righteousness as a gift. And so the Spirit gives us new life. We are living out a new life. He took on the likeness of sinful flesh so we could. He dealt with the sin problem. Justification is the foundation, the necessary foundation and the motivating cause of sanctification. Justification frees us from sin's penalty. Sanctification frees us from sin's power. And one day, when we breathe our last, we'll be free from the presence of sin. Amen? Now, we walk according to the Spirit, according to the new within us, the new life within us. What does it mean, walk? That's how we live. That's how we do business. That's our usual pattern even though we get tripped up, we get back on the path and keep walking. Amen? And so, he's fulfilled the law. And what's our motivating principle? To obey the Lord? Love. It has to be. If love is the greatest commandment, Jesus said, if you love, you fulfill the law. If you love God, you won't rob a bank because you love God. If you love others, you won't steal their money by robbing a bank. You see, if you love God and love others, you will not sin. When you are sinning, you are not loving God and you are not loving others. Right? It's very simple. It's the main thing in saving faith and produces the greatest effects. We don't have to track a long list of rules. Just love God and love others. But we now have a capacity to obey 
because the Spirit lives in us. And we have a Heavenly Father who we can ask. You want to defeat sin in your life? Pray. Pray about it. Pray about it and mortify it. We'll talk about that probably next week. Now, look at Are we going to progress? Are we going to progress, as they say in Canada? Yes, we will. Can we be triumphant in this life? No, we won't. Just know that your next sin is around the corner, unfortunately. But, for now, let us tend our lives and do our work, and let's be mindful of the way of life issues. For instance, if you're a greedy person, recognize it and do something about it. Right? Jesus fulfilled the law for us once for all, judicially, and the Spirit fulfills the law in us gradually and morally. Union with Christ ends all judicial condemnation and God's work in us lets us walk according to the Spirit. Now, there's a popular but mistaken view that there are two kinds of Christians. Are there two kinds of Christians? You might say, yeah, ones that I like and ones that I don't. No, that's, that's not it. That's not it. There's two kinds of Christians. Ones that are like sold out for Jesus. Those type of people. The radical sold out for Jesus people. And the other ones that are kind of like, yeah, you know, I'm not really sold out. I kind of like don't really want to do anything. I don't want to serve. I go to church once a month. Uh, I don't give anything in the plate. I don't pray to God very often. I miss my devotions probably nine times out of ten. I'm just kind of living, you know, kind of fuzzy, vague life. But hey, I said the sinner's prayer. I walked the walk. I, you know, I walked the walk. You do? Well, I talk the talk. So some folks think that those people are Christians too and that the sold out people are just another level of Christian. They're nutcases. They're radical nutcases. Well, let me tell you right now, not only are you a pickle and not a cucumber, but if you want to be a real Christian, you got to be a radical nutcase. Amen? It's a whole lot more radical than the church today thinks it is. Commitment right down to the bare metal. You with me? What am I doing on this thing? Making a point. Making a point. Okay. Um, Jesus made it clear. There's only one track in the Christian life. Want to know? Want to hear it? Let me give it to you. I'll just quote it. I'll just quote Jesus, and that'll be the end of this point. He summoned the crowd with his disciples, and he said to them, If anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life 
for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Folks, in the church today, there are people with two different mindsets. One mindset is after the Holy Spirit. The other mindset is after the flesh, after the sinful nature. If you set your mind on the flesh, you will die. Eternal death. If you set your mind on the Spirit, you will live. He's like, he's one of them nutcases, I think. What the Word is saying, and the Word says these things, we read them. Now, it's all about setting your mind. Are you just living your own life? You're living in your own private Idaho. You're doing your own thing. You do. You have your own goals. You're living the American dream. You're looking for prosperity. You're trying to pad your 401k. You cheat on your taxes. You do all these things. You do what you know you're not supposed to do. And you're really living for yourself. That is setting your mind on the flesh. And the person who has set his mind on that, even though they had a little Jesus in, is dead. If, however, in your life, even though you struggle and you have challenges, it's all about Jesus for you, that your whole life is like this, Jesus at the top, and everything you do is calculated to serve, please, obey, love Jesus, make him famous, then I would say you're living in the Spirit. Is your life all about Jesus? Or is it all about you? A Christian is one who is Christ-centered. A non-Christian is one who is not Christ-centered. At the final analysis, if you strip away all the gussied-up stuff, life is all about their selves. They're self-centered. Remember that commercial with the, the planets? Were, I, think I, I don't know what it was selling. But there was people in a room, and they were all like big planets. They were all rocking. Remember? Somebody help me. They're walking around like planets, and they're bumping into each other. They're like planets. Hey, I'm a big planet. It's all about me. And then there's somebody else over there, and it's all about them! Right? And it's like they're bumping into each other because it's all about, they all think it's all about them. See? If we have a church of people where it's all about you individually, we're going to have a heck of a time. We're going to bump into each other. We're going to have conflict. Because it's all about me. I thought it was all about you. No, it's all about me. It's not, no, no, no. Right? 
If it's all about Jesus, it's a different gig. It's like this. As we all get closer to Jesus, we're like the apex of, not the apex, the base. We're like the base of a triangle. As we all get closer to Jesus, folks, we'll get closer to one another. Hallelujah. But if we get further away from Jesus, we're going to get further away from one another. And it's going to get ugly. The first guy to go, first guy that's going to be the casualty, is moi. That's okay, I've been beaten before. Whatever don't kill you, make you stronger. No. <laughs> that's not in the Bible. Well, it kind of is. Okay. So the mind that is set on the flesh is death. You know, sometimes the enmity against God is very polite. Think about this. The wretched Herod Antipas listened to John the Baptist gladly until he ordered that his head be cut off. Think about that one. The mind that's set on the flesh of the sinful nature cannot submit to God's law. Does not and cannot submit to God's law. And third, it cannot please God. If you are living the self-life, you cannot please God. You are displeasing to God. You know, some people do good things, but their motives are bad. If the only reason why I don't steal from my boss is I'm afraid that I'll get caught, but if I could figure out a way how to steal from him and not get caught, I'd do it. Is my <clears throat> obedience worth anything? No. Not at all. We have a duty, beloved, to live by the Spirit and not the flesh. Now here comes an interesting thing. This is a very important verse. Listen closely. It's verse 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Spurgeon called it one of the most solemn texts in all the Bible. It's sweeping. It deals with everyone. And it deals with the most important point about us. For to belong to Christ is the most essential thing for all time and all eternity, isn't it? You come into church this morning, you worshiping God, you're doing the most important thing you could be doing right now. There's nothing more important than what you're doing. Nothing. Nothing. Right? Unless one is born again, said Jesus, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now some Pentecostal groups teach that you must receive the Holy Spirit subsequent to salvation. And there's some evidence of that by speaking in tongues. 
But Romans 8, 9 says, if you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you ain't saved. And it doesn't mean you speak in tongues. It means you walk in the Spirit and your mind is set on the Spirit, not on the flesh. Now you might say, wait a minute. Does this mean that we're saved by works? I say, no, we're saved by grace, not by works, but we're not saved without works. If you have faith, it will manifest itself in works, won't it? And if you have no works, you should look back and say, oh, am I really a Christian? It's a diagnostic. It's a way of diagnosing yourself. You should be thinking. John Piper said it this way. If you are not at odds with sin, you are not at home with Jesus. Not because being at odds with sin makes you at home with Jesus, but because being at home with Jesus makes you at odds with sin. You see? Jim Boyce put it this way. Paul is saying that if you live like a non-Christian dominated by your sinful nature, rather than living according to the Holy Spirit, you will perish like a non-Christian because you are a non-Christian. A life of unchecked sin leads to eternal death. And the devil is trying to bait you, lure you in. But the Bible says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Satan tries to bait us. As we close, let's think about this for a moment. There was a guy, a French baron, and he had a lion as a pet. The lion's name was Caral, or Carol, if you prefer. And he used to make the lion sleep in the bathroom. Well, at night he would take Caral and put the little lion in the bathroom and say, stay in there, Caral, that way you won't uh, cause any mischief. Eat my couch while I'm sleeping and such. Well, 1977, Caral was two years old. Caral, the lion, did not want to go in the bathroom and so clawed the baron to death. True story. True story. Indwelling sin is like that lion. It may be nice at first, but at some point it will turn on you and the result is never pretty. Kill your sin or it will kill you. But how do we do it? 
How do we kill sin? I say to you, tune in next week for more. Do you remember the big rocks illustration? A professor came in with a large jar filled to the brim with big rocks. He asked the class, is the jar full? Yes, of course. He said, you sure? Yeah, of course it's full. It has all rocks in it. He poured in some pea gravel. Then he poured in some sand. And then he poured in some water. And all that stuff was in the jar as well. The point of the illustration is, if you don't put the big rocks in first, you'll never be able to fit everything in. Like life, concern yourself with big rocks first. If you don't, you won't get the big rocks in. The biggest rock in your life is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died in Christ, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Amen? Okay, enough said. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for what you have done, and Lord, may we follow you in it. In Jesus' name, Amen.